Well, just a, a few things interest me this morning. Uh, the fact that in our first reading from Ezekiel, the Lord, when he's speaking to Ezekiel about the house of Israel, refers to it no less than three times. It could be more, actually, I have to do a count, but certainly at least three times as that rebellious house, that rebellious house. Okay, And you can see that the Lord is not pleased with Israel. They're committing idolatry, and there's a lot of other bad things that they're doing. And so he's calling them a rebellious house. So this idea here that we get it pretty pretty loud and clear is don't be rebellious. Rebellion is not rebellion against the Lord is, is not good. Okay. And in our psalm, it says about Israel, they tempted and rebelled against God. They were faithless. Okay. So this whole idea of rebellion. And then we've got the parable today in our gospel. And God is portrayed as this this master, and then He's got these servants. And the servants of this time, I think, I'm thinking, they're they're bond servants. That they're almost equivalent of a slave. Although sometimes, when we try to uh, project our American experience or knowledge of slavery back into the ancient world, it's not quite accurate. The American, you know, African Americans that were enslaved were kind of quite different sort of relationship with the ancient slaves. Nonetheless, you've got this. This relationship that obtains between the master and the servant, that's a very authoritative one, okay? And it would require obedience and not rebellion. So, this I think, I, this idea of rebellion and the need to obey and not rebel, I think is tough for modern people. I think it's tough for Americans in particular. So it's a good topic, I think, for us to reflect upon. Culturally, we glorify rebellion. Uh, we, especially as Americans, because we were founded on the basis of a rebellion against the English, uh, we have this kind of tendency to root for the underdog. We like that. And I, and I do too, personally, as well. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so, I'm, a, I'm just as American as anybody else, or more so. And, uh, then we've got certain cultural icons. I think of, we all know James Dean. What is the saying? He's a rebel without a cause. <laughs> So if you're a rebel without a cause, at least see the founders of the United States, um, when they rebelled, they had a cause. But now we've got to the point where we like rebellion so much, we don't even need a cause to rebel. It's rebellion for rebellion's sake. I, I've read the scholars who talk about, in the early modern period, in the 1500s and the 1600s, how there was a, a great sort of uh, change in cultural thinking and ethos and spirit and uh, in regards to this topic, one of the things where you can see this in, they say, these scholars say, cultural critics, and they say if you look at uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost, it's the first portrayal of Satan in Western literature that's portrayed in almost uh, a romantic fashion, kind of an attractive fashion. Now, Milton did not intend to portray Satan positively, but, you know, you, you really, you look at his portrayal of the devil, and it's the first time for 1,500 years of Western literature where the devil is portrayed in a way that's kind of like, this guy's kind of cool, actually, okay? And so they say that Satan, as portrayed in Milton, was the first sort of James Dean of the modern era. So, in any event, with the modern world, we've really got this issue, we've got to question ourselves and think deeply uh, about this glorification and romanticization of rebellion and how does that help or hinder us as Christians. 
I think a, a helpful place to start is to differentiate between two kinds of authority. On the one hand, you'd have paternal or parental authority, and then on the other hand, you'd have political authority. It's very important to make a distinction between these two. Parental authority is a kind of authority that's very, very unique and very special. And it is the closest thing that we have, by way of analogy, to understanding the relationship between humanity and God. Okay. Now, when a child grows up, you know, after the age of discretion and then even the age of majority and independence, the way that the parent should relate to the child and the child relates to the parent is very different than how they should, how the relationship is when they're younger. When they're younger, the child just needs to obey the parent, period, no matter what, because they don't have the developed mind to be able to understand things. So there's a kind of blind obedience that the child really does need to give to the parent. The parent is so vastly beyond the child in terms of their understanding of how the world works, what's good for the kid, what's bad for the kid, what's safe, what's unsafe, what the child needs now and in the future. All the, the parent is so beyond the child that the child's obedience to the parent at that point is to be, it's like faith, okay? The child needs to walk not by sight but by faith almost. And it's got to have that kind of allegiance to a parent. Of course, that changes when the child gets older, precisely because they develop reason and they can see things on their own and they can make judgments on their own. Now, political authority is very different than parental authority. And in the modern era, if we have kind of embraced the spirit of rebellion, we've also made progress in a positive sense. And the positive sense is this, is we've come to really understand very clearly, and this understanding has always been in Western civilization, go back to the ancient Greeks, the scholastic theologians of the Middle Ages, like St. Thomas Aquinas, articulated this very, very precisely. So we're talking the 13th century, all right? And in the modern era, we really have come to appreciate this, and the founding fathers of the United States have come to appreciate this, that political authority is very different than parental authority. It's not this blind obedience. It's based on reason, and it's constitutional. And what we mean by that is that the power for the political authority really comes from the people. The people as a whole say, we're going to agree to put this guy or this gal at our head to lead us as a representative, okay? And we're going to judge one way or the other whether they're fit for that. And, you know, sometimes if we come to the point where we say they're not fit, we're going to, we're going to change it. We're going to switch them up, okay? So the ultimate court of appeals is reason, and it presumes a kind of an adult maturity, and uh, an equality amongst everybody. It's a very different kind of authority than parental authority. Now, I think the mistake that we can make as Christians is taking the way that we should properly relate to that political authority and then transferring that over to God. Okay? And, and to the church as well. Now, I have to be careful about here. I'm certainly not saying that anybody should relate to church leaders like how we got to relate to God. Okay, that's not what I'm saying at all. If you notice, even Peter in our parable, he says, now Peter, who's the head of the church, he says to Jesus, what if my brother sins against me? How should, how many times should I forgive him? So you see this kind of equality even between Peter and his fellow uh, Christians. Okay, so I'm certainly not saying that we need to relate to church leaders like how we relate to God, but I am saying this. We need to relate to God in that kind of childlike simple, kind of blind obedience almost, okay? 
And we need to also sort of relate to the church as a whole, to our tradition, to the creed, to the teaching of the church, to that gospel that's been preserved in the bosom of Mother Church by the Holy Spirit. We need to relate to that in that childlike manner. I think the problem today and the challenge for all of us is not to take the way that we relate to political authority and transfer that to the way that we we relate to the church and to God. So often it's a mistake that we make. Hey, you know, if I don't understand a, a particular part of the faith, of the religion, I'm not going to obey it. I'm not going to follow it, you know? That holds true for the mysteries of the faith. It holds true for the moral teaching. Ah, you know, there's this teaching of the faith that tells me I can't do this or so forth and so on. I don't agree with it. Okay? So this is the mistake that we can really be, be subject to, is transferring how we relate to political authority now to our own holy religion. You see, just like the parents in relation to the child is so much above and beyond that child's understanding, so also God and his word and the mysteries that he reveals to us. Now we can spend our whole lives meditating upon the mysteries of the Lord and continually gain insight, but it doesn't change the fact that they are mysteries and they're so far beyond us. We really just need to exercise faith and obedience in relation to them. Otherwise, we're going to end up being like that rebellious house of Israel. And we see what the fate of the Israelites is who were rebellious in that manner. So, my brothers and sisters, uh, let's not be like that rebellious house of Israel. Let's, with that childlike faith, come before our Lord and say, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to believe? How do you want me to live my life? And then and have that, that beautiful spirit of docility and teachableness and childlike humility before our Heavenly Father who loves us and knows what's good for us and would never command or say anything to us that was untrue or not good for us.